I want to start off with a question for us this morning. How many of you loved middle school? I'm sure some of you did. But for me, middle school were the hardest years of my life. It didn't matter if it was at recess where we were choosing kickball teams, and I was just praying that I was the first, but certainly praying that I wasn't one of the last ones chosen. Or during the spelling bees in class where you prayed that I, I just didn't want to be the first person to mess up. And I also know that lunch times were really, really hard. Which table was I going to decide to sit at? Was I going to be with the popular kids or the in crowd? Or maybe it was going to be with the jocks or, or maybe it was with the class clowns. Where did I fit in? Middle school was this giant game of trying to figure out our social status and trying to figure out where I belonged. But the hardest thing for me were birthday parties. You see, after school, kids would have birthday parties, and, and I rarely got invited. You see, my family lived too far away. And for some of you, you won't remember this, but for some of us older people, we remember back in the day that if you lived far away, it was a paid phone call. And my family lived two towns over outside of county lines, and we were a paid phone call. And it just made it so hard to get invited to parties. And the worst feeling was especially the next day at school when they would spend all the time sharing jokes and laughing about inside things that happened. And, and I couldn't just help but feeling like an outsider. I didn't belong. And it was so frustrating and so hard. Maybe, maybe you know that. Maybe you have felt that. And, and, and the hardest thing is that even though we grow up, we often never really leave middle school. Sure, we change and, and the dynamics change, but it's still those same moments in life. Maybe when it's, you don't get that job and you're frustrated and you feel, why wasn't I the one chosen? Or maybe you're in a relationship right now and it's falling apart or has fallen apart. And all of these insecurities are coming to the surface. Maybe it's something they said or maybe it's something that it's just nagging at you and you're frustrated. Maybe it's your best friend who moved away and you feel alone, and you can't seem to find a tribe or a people group of friends to call your own. And you begin to question your own worth and feeling like you just wanna give up on life. It's that feeling that wells up inside of us. And I know that I have been there too. And it made me question my own worth. I began to get sour grapes and go, I didn't want that job anyway, or I, didn't, I, I don't like those people anyway. But the truth is, I feel rejected. I feel disappointed. I don't feel valued or I don't feel seen or, or not wanted. We've all been there. Some of you are in that place this morning and you feel incredibly alone. I've used that word a couple of times this morning and it's intentional because there's th th that alone feeling can just feel so overwhelming. And you wonder if there's ever gonna be a possible chance for change. And you're exhausted and you don't even know where to start. And every doubt and insecurity is just screaming so loud and you feel like, I don't even know if I can start again. And the pain of, of staying where I am just feels like maybe I should just stay here rather than the pain of confronting and trying to lean in and start over. And we get caught in disappointment. And the reality is that the trauma of rejection is something that can haunt us for our entire lives if we're not careful. We all need a 
a place of belonging, a place where we can say, this is my tribe, these are my people, and I belong here. Around here, we have a saying, life shouldn't be done alone. That we are all meant to build something and to be a part of something bigger than ourselves, to do something together. Yet I believe that the story of Scripture, time and time again, points us to this truth. So this morning, uh, as we begin, I want to turn to a story of a man who fought his own insecurities. I mean, my mom told me that he was the shortest man in the Bible, that his name was Maya. You know, knee-hi Maya. Okay, it's a dad joke, but it came from my mom. You can blame her for that one. Nehemiah. We're going to be looking at the story of Nehemiah and how God chose him. Last week, we looked at Nehemiah and the discovery process where he discovered that the walls were broken down and he saw the problem. But instead of just seeing the problem, he got curious and he began to examine the wall, taking notes and beginning to learn about what he could do to make a difference. And then Nehemiah gathered the the people together and he cast the vision. And in chapter two, verse 18, he says, this is Nehemiah. The people replied, let us start rebuilding. And so they began the good work. Today, we're gonna pick up the story of construction in chapter three. And we're gonna see that God is building something. So let's take note, let's get curious and let's dig in. Nehemiah chapter three. Eliashib, the high priest, and his fellow priest went to work, and they rebuilt to the sheep gate. They dedicated it and set its doors in place, building as far as the Tower of the Hundred, which they dedicated as far as the Tower of Hananel. The men of Jericho built the adjoining section, and Zakor, son of Eram, built next to them. The fish gate was rebuilt by the sons of Hashem. And they laid its beams, and they put its doors and bolts and bars in place. And the story continues, and the construction moves on. But what I want us to see is that everyone gets involved, including the priests, and everyone, even from the town of Jericho. Let's pick up in verse 8. Uzziah, son of Hariah, one of the goldsmiths, repaired the next section. And Hananiah, one of the perfume makers, made the repairs next to that. And they restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. And the story continues of person after person after person, and they continue to rebuild. But what I want us to see is everyone gets involved, including the goldsmith and the perfume makers, the people that we wouldn't necessarily expect. And we pick up the story in verse 12. Shalom, son of Halohesh, ruler of the half district of Jerusalem, repaired the next section with the help of his daughters. And the story continues, and everyone gets involved, including women. Shalom's daughters saw the need, and although building the wall would have traditionally been men's work, they decided to do something about it, and they jumped in as well. My guess is they weren't the only women who helped, but they were just the ones who were named here. There's a couple of points that I want us to see, and first is this. Everyone gets involved in God's work of building. You see, Nehemiah had a grand vision, and it was such a big vision that he needed everyone's help. We saw it was the priests, the perfume makers, the goldsmith, the administrators, 
everyone. And we saw that not even just people from Jerusalem, but people from Jericho. And it was the women as well as the men. This is everyone and everyone gets involved. This was a team effort. Sometimes we say there are too many cooks in the kitchen. Nope, not this time. This was all hands on deck. The second thing I want us to see is that not only did they rebuild the walls, but they strengthened it. You see, they added mortar to hold it all together. They didn't just put the rocks back in place and kind of cobble it together. No, they wanted it to be strong. Furthermore, Nehemiah used good, strong timber from the king's forest. This was the best of the best. It was the strongest and the straightest timber in all of the kingdom. We see this in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 8. And it says this, And Nehemiah is speaking to the king, and he says, And please give me a letter addressed to Asaph, the manager of the king's forest, instructing him to give me timber. I will need it to make beams for the gates for the temple, fortress, and for the city walls, and for the house for myself. And the king granted these requests, because the gracious hand of God was on me. I don't know if you've ever been working on a project on a weekend. And us weekend warriors, we go to Home Depot and we just need a couple more two by fours to finish our project. And I've been there and you pick up two by four after two by four and you look at what's left at the end of the day. And it's this piece is bowed and this piece is bent or this piece is crowned or twisted and this one's splintered and this one uh, has too many knots in it. And, and it's not the good stuff, not Nehemiah. He made sure to get the best of the best, to strengthen the walls. This was good, hard lumber from the king's chosen forest. He wanted to not just shoddily rebuild the wall, he wanted to make it strong. And the third way in which he strengthened the wall is he had each family build the section of the wall nearest them. In chapter 3, verse 23, we see this. Beyond them, Benjamin and Hashub made repairs in front of their houses. And next to them, Azariah, son of Masaniah, the son of Ananiah, made repairs beside his house. And again, in verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 28, Above the horse gate, the priest repaired the wall. Each one repaired the section immediately across from his own home. This was the wisdom of Nehemiah. He knew that if he instructed them to build next to their houses, that the quality would be better. I know for me, if I was building anywhere, I would do good work. But if it was the work next to my house, man, that wall was going to be excellent work. I would do my best because I would want that wall to be strongest next to my house. And Nehemiah knew this. He wanted to know that they had skin in the game. And he wanted to make sure that that wall was the strongest that it could be. That it wasn't just kind of thrown together, but they were rebuilding something big and something strong. The third thing I want us to see from this passage as they begin to rebuild is that we begin to see Nehemiah facing opposition. And there's two types of opposition that come. And the first is the most obvious. It's the outside opposition. And we saw it last week. 
Uh, and we see it again this week with Sambalot. He begins to spread rumors, and all throughout chapter 4, Sambalot and his friends begin to stir up dissension, and they create rumors of wars. And see, Sambalot is one of the rulers of that region. Yes, he's under the king, but he, the last thing he wants to see is the people of Israel be strong again. He wants to rule them, and the easiest way to do that is if they're weak. And so he begins to stir up dissension, to stop the wall. And eventually, the wall did actually stop because of the op- opposition. But Nehemiah created a plan. He was ready, and he ordered everyone to grab their weapon, their weapon in one hand and their trowel and the stones in the other, that they would always work on guard. And then he set some of the people just to stand guard against any potential attacks, on the lookout, ready with spear and sword in hand. And the work began to begin again. And there they were, some of them working, some of them standing guard, but every person ready and prepared. And that's how they responded to that external tension and opposition. But there was more than that. There was internal weaknesses that they had to address. And it may be less obvious, but think about this for a minute. I said everyone was involved. And that means that every walk of society had to work together. The rich, the poor, the upper class, the lower class, those who are used to working with their hands, working alongside the goldsmith and the perfume makers, and those that we wouldn't necessarily think about being joined in. All political parties and everybody, even people from other towns, they were all in this moment together. But sometimes when we work with people who are different than us, we begin to have different ideas about how they move forward. I mean, on one side, they have one group of people deciding that the wall should be built this way. And they began to just chant and yell, and they're carrying banners yelling, build that wall, build that wall. And on the other side, you have the other political group going, build back better, build back better. I jest. Maybe it's too soon for a political joke. But I know that political tension is real. And we're going to have to realize and to learn that for all of us are needed in the family of God. And this was true in Nehemiah's day, and it's true in our day today. That all of us are needed to build this grand vision. That Nehemiah needed everybody to be a part of this because God was doing something big, regardless of where we came from. And so to begin to build the people, Nehemiah begins to move forward. He's not just strengthening the wall, he's strengthening the people. And as he does that, as he begins to work at that internal tension, he realizes that building people involves confession. You see, in order to restore the people, they needed to understand that they belonged together. Two weeks ago, Pastor Mike just wrapped up a series uh, talking about the gap between us and God and the gap between us and others. And if you have a chance, I encourage you to go back and watch it on YouTube or check out the podcast. It's so good. But Pastor Mike reminds us that it is the cross that closes that gap. And it is the cross that has both that vertical and horizontal connection. Because he reminds us that how we treat others matters. And Nehemiah knew this. And this week, I would challenge you to dig into Nehemiah chapter 5, where he begins to look at how the poor uh, in Jerusalem were being exploited by the rich. 
And he realizes that in order to move forward, he needed a time of confession. He needed to right that ship. There were economic insecurities where that they just had to be sorted out, that there couldn't be exploitation of each other if they were gonna be a strong body together. Because he knew that how we treat others matters. And so he led the nation in this time of confession and they began to uh, forgive each other for these exploitations and they began to move forward. Nehemiah is doing more than building a wall. Yes, he's building a wall because God has given him a vision, but Nehemiah is doing something bigger. God is up to something. He's building a people. You see, opposition can also strengthen us. And here we see that each one of us is part of something more that they are literally in the trenches together. They're building and rubbing shoulders with people that they never would have rubbed shoulders before. And it's unifying together. Maybe some of you have been in the military and you know that when you're in a foxhole together, that, that there are deep relationships formed there. Or maybe you've been on a missions trip or you've, you've done a service project together and you've made friends people, with people that you might not otherwise have done. Because building one unifying work this is where the bond of belonging is formed. It's where we be, realize that we are standing against one common enemy. And so this morning, I want us to think about, well, what does this story mean to me? What does this story mean to each one of us? First is this, belonging means everyone. And everyone means everyone, all walks of life. And everyone means you. That means that I belong. That means that I belong in this place. And sometimes I feel rejected and I pull back because I've been hurt before. But everyone means everyone and everyone means you. You see, Christ is the great unifier. He's the one who draws us all together into this beautiful new kingdom. Romans 3.23 says this, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But that's good news because you see that, that since nobody is perfect, we're all equally in need of a savior. We have this saying that the ground is level at the foot of the cross. It's just another way of saying that all of us are welcomed here. We all need grace and we all are in this together. For it is in Christ that we are redeemed by his blood and by his love. And that means that we're all welcome, we're all needed, and that we're all important. And that all of us have a role to play. No matter whether you're standing guard, or whether you're working, or whether you're making the mortar, or whether you're on the lookout, every part mattered. And the second thing I want us to see is that so often, a place of belonging will be met with resistance. I don't know if you've been to the gym recently or not, probably not, but maybe you've been working out from home and you've been using those resistance bands. They've been really popular recently. And it's this understanding that resistance can lead to strength. Resistance is an opportunity for us to grow in the strength and to build stronger bonds. And Nehemiah knew this. And that, that resistance may come from within, like, like the Israelites. They were struggling with real tension inside. And so maybe we need to confess to someone that we hurt this week. 
Or maybe it's someone in this last season that we've had a fractured relationship over COVID or over political uh, disagreements or, or whatever it is that there's fractured relationships in our families and in our friends. Maybe we're the ones that need to take that first step of reaching out. Or maybe it's someone who you see things differently with. But all of us are needed in this body. You see, community means that we need to learn from each other. And that together, as we, as we dig in, that, that we're going to be a part of this team. And so some of this may come internally. But opposition to belonging may also come externally. It might come from rumors or people like Sambalot who are trying to undermine you trying to undermine and stop God's vision and God's work in your life. Or maybe it's they're trying to undermine God's work in our community. And you see, that's what Satan does. He wants to dig in. He wants to lie, kill, steal, and destroy. And he wants to fracture all of these places. But what if this week, instead of thinking about how different we are, what if instead we started to fight our common enemy? There's this great quote, a house divided against itself cannot stand. Who said that? You're right. It was Abraham Lincoln in the Gettysburg Address. But wait, who was Lincoln quoting? Lincoln was quoting Jesus in Mark 3.25. You see, Scripture continually reminds us that our fight is not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities and powers of this dark world. And if we are going to fight this spiritual battle, then we need something that is going to hold us together, something that's going to equip us, something that's going to strengthen us, something that's going to build us up, that we know that we have the strength to fight back against the evil in our world. And that leads me to my third point. You see, belonging involves mortar. Nehemiah didn't just throw together all of the rocks and say, ah, that'll do. No, he strengthened it with mortar. And he used the strongest timbers. And he used people to reinforce the sections by their own houses because he knew that he wanted to build something bigger and stronger. And he had a great vision. And he knew that God was up to something. You see, when you are building, you use mortar to cement and lock everything into place. And it holds it all together. No matter whether you're building a block wall or maybe it's a stone wall like we have here at church, but it's the mortar that locks everything together. And that mortar is the Holy Spirit. It is God's love and grace that holds us all together. In 1 Peter 2.5, we see this. And you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. The first thing I want us to see there is that, that we are the living stones that God is literally using us to build his church. You see, the church is not a building. The church is a people. And we are the stones, we are the blocks, we are the thing that God uses to build his church and his bride. But it is God who does the building. And it is God that holds us all together through the power of his Holy Spirit. You see, Christ is the great unifier. He is the one, he is the great mortar that holds us all together. And it is him that we have our breath and our being and it is in him that we belong. Earlier I said that the ground is level at the foot of the cross. And that's just another way of saying that we are all a part of the body of Christ. Galatians 3 says this, 
So in Christ Jesus, you are the children of God through faith. For all of you were baptized into Christ and have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. Yet all of you are one in Christ. Catch that. All of us. Everyone means everyone. All of us who confess the name of Jesus, all of us are one in Christ. And Nehemiah knew that. He knew that there was something that would bind and cement the people together. And he wasn't just building a wall. There's a couple of things I want us to see from the book of Nehemiah. You see, the book of Nehemiah is broken into two sections. And the first is Nehemiah rebuilding the wall. And then the second is Nehemiah rebuilding and reforming the people. Notice that the action comes first. Notice that the reformation happens in the presence of community. And that's why uh, confession was so important. That he knew that, that if people were truly going to change, that they have to be bound together. They had to work together. They had to be a part of something bigger than themselves. For me, middle school was some of the hardest years of my life. But it was in high school that things began to turn around for me. It was in this time that I found a new church and got connected with a, a youth group. And, and God began to do something so big inside of me. And I didn't even know that what he was doing at the time. But I began to connect in and I went to uh, retreats and winter camps. And, and we had Bible studies and prayer meetings. And, and we spent a lot of time playing fun games together. But it was in these moments where we began to rub shoulders and we began to do fun things together. And, and it was in that moment that I really began to feel like I was in it together. And then that summer after the first year of joining that youth group, it all began to click for me because our youth group was getting ready to do a, a summer trip, a missions project, and we were raising funds to do it. And there was an older lady in our church who needed this, uh, a lot of grunt work, a construction project done around her house. And she said, instead of hiring somebody, I'm gonna hire the youth group. And so we got the youth group together and we went and we began to work. But the crazy thing was, there we were digging and shoveling and moving stone and doing dirty and hard work. And here we were laughing and having fun together. And it was in that moment, in the sweat, in the hard work, that I realized, hey, I belong here. This is no longer just a youth group that I attend, that I belong, that I am, I am with them, shoulder to shoulder in the work, shoulder to shoulder belonging. It didn't just have to be something fun. It was in the hard times that I realized that we were in it together. And that's when I knew that I belonged. And it doesn't, maybe for you, it, it's, it doesn't have to be a church work project. Maybe it was a missions trip, or maybe it's a time where you are working with somebody together, serving together. But it's in those moments that we form together as the body of Christ. But one of the things I want to remind us is the body of Christ doesn't always get this right. For me, the story that I just shared, that was the body of Christ at its best. But I confess that sometimes the church isn't perfect. And we don't always get this right. And sometimes we rub each other the wrong way. Sometimes we, we, we don't always connect. And, and I'm not trying to shame anybody by saying, if you don't connect, it's your fault. I'm not saying that at all. But even in church, we can feel alone. I confess that even as a pastor, sometimes I struggle with this. But I remind us that it's in these moments 
that where how we respond is what matters. Am I going to lean in? Am I going to be the one who instead of saying they didn't call me, I'm going to pick up the phone and reach out. I'm going to look for a friend that I can begin to do things with. I'm going to find that place of belonging and reminding you and myself this morning. I'm, I'm preaching to myself this morning as well. That belonging happens best when we roll up our sleeves and we get in the trenches and we do this work together. That's where God begins to work in and through each and every one of us. I don't know what you're going through this week, but I believe that, that, that God is up to something. And, it, and it's not an accident that you're here listening to this message because I believe that God is stirring and drawing and maybe even pricking your heart this morning and that God wants to do something. And, and for everyone who is here, there's something important that he wants to say and that everyone means everyone. Everyone is welcome here in this place. And so I would just encourage you to get plugged in, to find a place, whether it's a small group or whether it's a Bible study or, or whether there's a project where you want to, like maybe you need help and you call somebody to help you. Or maybe you know that there's somebody that's hurting that needs a meal this week and you reach out. But it's in those places of connection where we begin to find our purpose, that God is building something bigger than ourselves. And so as I close this morning, I've got a couple of questions for us, for myself, for each and every one of us. Question number one, if everyone is important and has a place at the table of the kingdom of God, then that means you. So where do I, where do you, where do we need to be the one to pick up the phone and to reach out and to join in? I, I can't just point fingers at other people, but, but how, do my, how can I take responsibility to lean in and to, to roll up my sleeves and say, God, I want to be a part of the work like Nehemiah and his people were. Regardless of what your status is in life, regardless of what your role is, all of us are important. And that's what was so key in this passage. And so how can we connect and how can we lean in? And how do we not discredit what we have to offer? I know that insecurities can, can so often hold us back, but where do we reach out? The second question that I have for us this morning is, how can we grow in spiritual community this week? Sociologists often remind us that we are an average of the people we spend the most time with. They generally say about five people, the five people we spend the most time with, that we become an average of that. And so where is that spiritual community that we're spending time with people who will encourage us, who will help us to lean in? Maybe it's your spouse, maybe it's a friend, maybe it's somebody that you're connected with, or maybe you wanna start a text thread this week with some friends to just pray and encourage each other. Or maybe it's asking a few friends to do a Bible reading plan uh, where you're together holding each other accountable, but also just like saying, what did you learn? What did God speak to you this week? How can we grow together? You see, the story of Nehemiah isn't just about building a wall. It's about God doing something so much more. And I believe that God doesn't want any one of us to walk away from this place today and to just settle for how life currently is. No, God wants to restore, redeem, and draw us in to a bigger, grander vision. That little story that I shared about my, my youth group growing up is, is just a taste of the kingdom. But I believe that there's so much more that God would have for each and every one of us. And so if that's you this morning, I invite you to just hold your hands out this morning and let's together um, say this prayer together 
as we invite God to maybe open our eyes for the first time or maybe anew for how we can get connected, how we can not only discover, but how we can belong to what God is doing. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for who you are. I thank you for your words through Nehemiah and through this story and the ways in which it challenges each one of us. God, that each one of us are so important. We're gonna face opposition. We're gonna have insecurities, regardless of whether that comes from inside or from outside. We're gonna face resistance. But God, this is an opportunity for us to grow this week. And God, so I pray that that you would help us to lean in. And then God, I pray that you would just saturate us with your Holy Spirit, that you would use that as the mortar to hold us together as we are building the body of Christ together here in this place, here online. At SGBIC, this becomes a a community. Or uh, if we're right here in Rancho, that we're connecting wherever we are, God, that you wanna build us into something more. And so God, fill us this morning. Strengthen us and encourage us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, thank you so much for being here with us this morning. Let me leave you with this blessing. May God be gracious to you. May God turn his face and bless you this week as he sends you forth out into the world to be his blessing in his kingdom. And may he build you into something so much bigger and stronger than you ever thought possible. May you go and have a wonderful week. In Jesus' name, amen.